This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Master Marketer Show. I've been on a bit of a sabbatical, so I'm all refreshed, and Mary Keogh is my first guest. Mary is the head of marketing at Map My Customers, and we're going to be talking about product marketing today, which we haven't done a ton on the show just yet. So, Mary, welcome to the show. Mike, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk product marketing um, for any marketers who have been maybe intimidated by it. Um, I was one of them. So I don't think I would have ever called myself a product marketer until I entered the B2B SaaS world when I was only marketing and selling a single product to a specific set of users. So you might be a product marketer too. Don't be intimidated by the terminology. Well, that's you know, maybe a good place to start before we even get into our usual format of mindset, skill sets, tool sets, results is let's define product marketing for people. I think, you know, it seems elementary, but I feel like depending on who I talk to, that definition is slightly different. There's product marketing versus product management, which I think people get confused about sometimes. So let's define that. What is product marketing? Yeah. So my definition of product marketing is extracting the value of a product. So why customers care about it, what problems it solves and what value the solving of those problems gets those customers and then translating that so that more of those types of customers come to you and buy your product. Awesome. Love that definition. So we're talking really about customer insights at the, at the core. Definitely. So, yeah. You know, I feel like there's an article I read a little while ago, and it was talking more about product management, uh, but there's some mention of product marketing as well. And it was sort of uh, focusing on, I'll have to find the link to this article, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, it was really talking about how product management and tangentially product marketing are uh, like dying disciplines because it's people who can't actually, they don't actually own the product development pipeline, they're sometimes not even, they're maybe developers, but not at like full stack and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I'm curious, Mary, again, kind of before we jump into the, the nitty gritty here, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you see the discipline of product marketing evolving? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So when I was, I've had like a varied career. So I started out at like a semi big company, you know, like mid market bordering on large. And then I worked for a small agency and now I work for a SaaS startup. So kind of seen the gamut as far as B2B marketing is concerned. Um, I've also seen the gamut of how products are quote unquote managed and marketed. And I think everyone in regardless of the company that I've been exposed to at least treats product management and product marketing a little bit differently. So at the larger company I was at, we didn't have product managers. We had market development teams. So you really owned a market and then all the products that serve that market inside the company. Um, I've also been at companies where the, this was like hundreds of products too. This was like, you know, a company that sold many, many, many different types of products. Then when I was on agency working with other manufacturing companies, they had a much smaller product line. So you really did have true product managers. And what they're in charge of is, like you said, the roadmap, um, pricing and packaging, um, what types of customers they're building or scaling the product for. Um, but I, I do think your take is interesting on product management being kind of this dying profession or maybe product marketing being this dying profession. Because I think it does depend on really like where your company is at, um, where we're at now as a startup, I have to be a product marketer only. So I have to be like so focused on the product and who's buying that product that I don't really have a choice on where else I can spend my time. Um, I saw a really great post from 
Jason Lemkin on this. If you don't follow him on LinkedIn, he's awesome. He runs Saster. And he said that depending on the stage of the company is where you should place your marketing efforts. So an early stage company is going to be all on the product marketing side. Then you start messing with brand. Then you're like half brand, half product. And then once you're like, you know, a sales force or your IPO, your billions of dollars, you're almost completely brand. So I think that makes a lot of sense in the B2B world. I don't know if that was just a ramble, if like anything was making sense out of there. But No, that was, I think it was great. And it got me, definitely got me thinking and, you know, to play devil's advocate on the product versus brand piece, I mean, what, you know, there is the whole uh, category design uh, group, if you will, that would be really focused on, well, what is the category that you're creating if you're really trying to uh, innovate and build a defensible position? How does that, in your mind, relate to what you just said in terms of, well, if we're early stage, we're strictly focused on product and not till later are we focused on brand? Yeah, so I would argue category definitely falls into more the product side. So in order to properly position your product, so that kind of like foundational marketing piece, you have to know what category you're playing with. Or if you're in that category design group, then it's what category are we going to create for our product to fit in? Let's let's dive in. Uh, you know, we uh, I'd love to hear from you. You've been in your role for what about uh, 100 days or so, something like that. Yeah, yeah, about four months. So, what do you think a you know, an early stage head of marketing that's focused on product. What is the core mindset they need to have? Be customer obsessed. So become obsessed with who your current customers are. So that's especially true in an early stage startup because you just don't have as many of those customers. So becoming customer obsessed really helps you not only get in the mindset of the customers who you're serving, but it also helps you extract what are the commonalities between all of those customers? Does it go beyond industry and job title and job function? Is it like a mindset among it? So I'll give you an example, like straight from ours. Our best customers view us as a CRM. Now we also integrate with other CRMs. We have native integrations with HubSpot, Salesforce, Zoho Dynamics, you know, all the big ones. Um, but our best customers are using us as a CRM. So I toyed with that concept a little bit and decided, hey, you know what, in our marketing, let's like really double down on our best fit customers and we're calling ourselves a CRM. If of course we have prospects who already have one, we'll talk about our native integrations, but in all our marketing efforts right now, in our sale, outbound sales efforts, we're a CRM. So what does, you know, you talk about being customer obsessed and you gave some uh, examples of, um, I guess maybe some of the outputs, but what, what does that look like in more detail? Like what does somebody who's customer obsessed uh, do on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, that's an awesome question. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about my early days and then kind of how I maintain my customer obsession now. So in my early days, I did exactly what I just said before. I was listening in on sales calls. I was interviewing customers. I was listening in on business reviews. So people who are already customers, but are in like more of a retention play, you know, what are they talking about? I was sitting in on onboarding and training sessions. So really just getting as much exposure as I possibly could to who our current customers are or who we were prospecting to. And what I was looking at is who are these people? What's their job function? What's their job title? Where do they work? How do they think about a CRM or a sales enablement software platform? Um, what problems are they looking to solve? This is like so huge. So I wrote down like our top 10 problems that were common across customers. Then I highlighted the features that tied back to those problems and then from there, you can start to extract the value those features bring. 
So this is super valuable in talking to current customers, you know, especially in these business reviews when we're talking about retention efforts is, hey, what value are you really getting from our platform? Like, what is it doing to your sales process now? What is it doing to your business as a whole? How is it making you very specific customer? How is it making your life easier? And what about, um, you know, when you're talking about the, the value side of that equation, how do you get to, uh, let's say the, the language around that? Yeah. What are you doing in particular to be able to communicate that in the right way? Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I use April Dunford's um, feature benefit value mapping. So she does this in her book, Obviously Awesome. If you haven't read it, highly, highly, highly recommend it. Super easy read, amazing Kickstarter to um, like kind of a briefing on marketing fundamentals. So that framework I just said, um, ideal customer profile, problems, features, um, how does the feature address the problem? Then from there, what you're going to get is probably some benefits. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the features we have is mapping and routing. So a routing optimization of a sales rep's day-to-day. -day. So what's the benefit? The benefit is the sales rep gets an optimized route for mileage and traffic. So they use Google Maps and they get around their territory in the most efficient way possible. Now that could, most marketers stop there, right? Okay, great. You get an optimized route. I mean, what more could you want than an optimized route for your day to day? But going that one step further is so key, which is what is the value you're actually getting from having an optimized route? And what we heard during these customer interviews was my reps are spending in an, I want my reps in the field five days a week. I want them in front of customers face to face five days a week but I have to give them anywhere from a half to a full day of admin time per week just to plan out their next week. So what this is doing is actually giving you back a day in your week. Nice. And is that uh, when you are communicating that message, is that going to uh, sales leadership? Is that going to the, the more boots on the ground, the, the, the reps themselves, what, you know, do they see that differently? Are you digging in that far? Yeah, we're definitely digging in that far. Um, right now we're mainly talking to leadership, but I mean, where we're at is a really cool place. And this also comes from, you know, being customer obsessed is most of these sales leaders were sales reps. So they're on the side of the rep. They are not on the side of, let's say, the CEO, the CFO, they're getting a lot of, you know, top down initiatives and they have to filter those top down initiatives through the POV of the individual sales rep because they were there, they did the job. So what's cool is we can tell them kind of the same message and they get it right away. They're like, we've heard so many times on sales calls. Oh my gosh, if I would have just had that in the field, I would have been, I would have made a president's club every year or whatever. So um, that part is really cool about the specific target market that we're going after. So, uh, you know, you mentioned we're talking about communicating value rather than benefits. Uh, another common thing you hear is, well, you know, don't talk about the, the feature, the benefits, sell the problem. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that selling the problem is really great from a hook perspective. So to get them to click your ad or read more of your LinkedIn post or read more of your blog, but you also have to, you have to take that step further, either in your ad copy, in your landing page, as the blog article gets further down, as your features or solutions page gets further down, you have to position your product as the solution to that problem. So I definitely agree with selling the problem. We've had a lot of success with just um, what I call like slapping our potential customers in the face with a problem because it <laughs> does get their attention. Um, we have like an ad, you can go look it up in our in the Facebook ads library if you want. And one of the ads is just like this guy who's like, like with a really like confused, like kind of angry face. And it just says CRM suck. 
and we get like the most engagement from their ad because reps hate CRMs. And so yep. we slap them in the face with it and then later position map my customers as the solution. So um, can I get getting back to our uh, yeah. mindsets piece? Being customer obsessed. Um, yes. How does that translate into working with product management? Yeah, so I don't have a specific product manager. We do have a product team though. So I work really closely with her official role as product designer, but I would call her more of a product manager. So she does a lot of the road mapping of the product. She prioritizes where items are gonna fall on the roadmap. She does a lot of like the really deep customer research, like ride alongs and, but with a specific purpose of prioritizing that roadmap. So she's not necessarily marketing current product. She's thinking about where the product is going to be in the future. Um, and our relationship is really great. Like it's really easy to work with her because she um, is fantastic from a use case perspective. And I think this is also a really important part of product marketing is the ability to extract and filter use cases for marketing purposes. So I think that's where product management and product marketing, if you have those two functions in the same organization can really work together is like the product manager is just going to know so much about the product itself and the customer. And what marketing's job is, is to extract the stuff that product management is giving you and filter it so you can go get more of those kinds of customers. Talk a little bit more about the you know feedback loops that you, that the two of you have in terms of how does marketing influence product roadmap? How does product roadmap influence marketing? You know that kind of thing. Yeah, love it. Um, so we have biweekly syncs, so we'll sync up every week. Um, I'll extract use cases from her and get any updates on the product roadmap. And the reason this is so critical is we are still playing in different markets right now. So in different industries right now, we're finding a lot of early success in manufacturing distribution and medical device. Um, and she is doing the same customer research in those industries. So those are our current customers. She's going on ride alongs. So what I get to hear is stuff like we need to be, if we want to double down in medical, we need to be HIPAA compliant. So that's a very specific medical terminology. Now, the interesting thing, if we want to double down on manufacturing is we need to be able to integrate with what's called an ERP system. And it's how all manufacturers track orders. So like a PO comes in the door, it gets sent to the plant, the plant fulfills the order, it gets shipped and shipped orders are everything about manufacturing. That's the way that they track revenue and profitability. So where we're going to go with those is interesting because like they're both technically on the roadmap. And what I can do is say, awesome, Rachel. So this is what I'm seeing from a marketing perspective. This is just an example. This isn't necessarily happening right now. Um, we're finding a ton of early success in manufacturing. That's where our largest deals are. And what I get to go, because I'm full circle, full life cycle of the customer, we're also, for example, churning a lot in medical right now. Economic conditions are rough. Medical is looking to cut costs. So I think we should double down on the ERP for manufacturing. So that's just one example of like how uh, marketing, product marketing and product management can kind of help feed each other um, to really, because like we're both customer obsessed. We both want the product to be helpful to customers. And so being able to work like that just prioritizes what we already want to do. What are your thoughts on, I mean, I know there's another school of thought out there, a um, little contrarian, but can thinks about more about, you know, the customer doesn't really know what they want or what they need. And you, it's your job to actually just put something in front that you believe is the right thing that solves the problem that, you know, they have kind of deal. Um, what are your thoughts on that? hundred percent. I could not agree with that statement more. I think it was like, I, I go back to like two um, really prolific marketer business people, Steve Jobs and Henry Ford. So Steve Jobs is the one who put that out. Like I would never ask the customer what they want. Like I, I know what they want. You know, that was, that was the Steve Jobs mentality. 
And I think Henry Ford is famous for saying, yeah, if I would have asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So like that's, those are just like two examples of it. And I could not agree with them more. So what customers are really bad at is ideating or innovating solutions to their problems. But what they're really good at is articulating those problems. So your job as a marketer or a product manager, because our product team does this too, is yanking out those problems that customers are having. And then your job is to innovate the solution. Well, it's a perfect transition. Let's talk skill sets. So clearly customer research is one of those. What we'll take them one at a time after, but you know, if you can enumerate, what are the core skill sets? If you have to boil it down to three that a product marketer needs to have, what are those three things? Yeah, I'd say customer research is absolutely one of them. Then you have to, I would call that like qualitative. So that's a qualitative skill. From a quantitative perspective, you have to be able to analyze um, pipeline, revenue, um, sources of marketing and sales. Um, so that's another thing that I did within my first 30-ish days was just do a really high-level analysis of where are our leads coming from, who's converting to pipeline, who's converting into customers, how long is the sales cycle how much does it cost to acquire those customers? It sounds really boring, but marketers have to know this stuff. Otherwise, they just can't build um, a good strategy to get more of the customers who are winning. Um, I'll give you a really good example. One, we had one really big win in, I think it was insurance or like a services, like a professional services sector. And if we wouldn't have done the back research to say, okay, how did they come in? How long was that sales cycle? How much did it cost for us to acquire it? It actually costed us quite a bit, like almost double our normal CAC to acquire that customer. So it would have been really easy for us to say, big customer, we're early stage, like we're trying to find product market fit, all that good stuff. Let's keep going after insurance. But when we would like backtrack it from a quantitative perspective, it costs too much to do that. And so the med device industrial manufacturing is a lot cheaper. So that's just one example of like the quantitative perspective. So you have to have like, you have to be able to analyze marketing and sales channels. Yeah, it, what you're describing, it's such a common conversation I have with marketing leaders, with CEOs, and it's sometimes it's industry, sometimes it's channel. Um, and there, you know, you hear this all the time, this recommendation, you know, do how often are you doing your win-loss analysis, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there's just so much nuance to that, right, in terms of, well, how long ago was it? How far back do you look, right? Because at what point does your information become deprecated, for lack of a better word? Um, you know, I remember specifically having a conversation with a, with a CEO not that long ago, and we're talking about, you know, goals and objectives and what they want. I was like, well, you know, we, our largest customer came from organic search and we, we so we really got to double down on that. I'm like, well, how long ago was that? 10 years. I'm like, that's not, you, you can't do anything with that information. Like, yeah. Like marketing has changed for 10 years, but forget the channel on its own. So it's like, it's things like that. And it, it, I love that you, I don't love that you brought it up, but it, I think it's important. Like, the pitfall I see very often is focusing on like the big fish. It's like, well, where did our biggest customer come from? Well, we, we need more of those. And it's just, it's such a, uh, I don't know best word to describe it, but it's such a bad way to look at it because it just ignores all sorts of things in terms of, like you mentioned, the cost to acquire, it ignores, uh, all sorts of other things like, uh, you know, um, sales cycle, product fit, like all sorts of things, right? I mean, one thing, you know, and it's, it's like, do you, do you even, does that kind of customer even make sense for you? Like, you know, cause a lot of times like, oh, well, it's a, it's, we got this one enterprise deal. Let's start going after, you know, big enterprise. Are you sure? Like, are you sure that we need to do that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, 
It's and super common because especially in manufacturing industrial, I've had so I had so many conversations just like that when I was at Girl 76. It's just like people want it to be easy. People want the equation to be easy. They want it to be easy to say, yes, here organic search equals win. So we need to do more with organic search. Um, and 10 years ago, that probably made a ton of sense when organic search SEO Google was the only option. Now organic search could mean anything. It could, that's just the channel they happen to come through at the moment in time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, on the industry side, like you're talking about, it's, it's easy to get lost and go, Ooh, there's this one big one. Let's get more like them. But the question is what, you know, uh, I think thinking broader about the business, okay, let's, if we do that, let's play this out. What does this mean? What is, how does this impact our product development pipeline? Do we have the right skills? Do we have the right certifications? Do like all this stuff has to, like if we were to go after insurance, like you mentioned in your case, could your current team even do that? Maybe they could, I don't know. Like that, that kind of consideration often doesn't actually come up until much later when they've already made the decision and much money has been spent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's actually like kind of an underrated thing right there too, is just like sticking to the strategy that you have. Like the strategy takes time, like marketing takes time. It doesn't have to take like, you know, a whole year um, to produce results. Like you can track things as they come, like you can track validating your messaging and then leads and opportunities and customers and all that good stuff. Um, but sticking with the strategy is just so underrated. Yep. All right. So you mentioned customer research, the qualitative side of things. You mentioned quantitative analysis, like win loss and things like that, quantitative side of things. Um, and ad hoc right now, we just talked about sticking with the strategy. Anything else from a skill set perspective? Yeah, I think translating those two things into product positioning and messaging. So how you're going to talk about the product in the market is the final skill set. So I would kind of wrap that all up with kind of like a marketing fundamentals. Man, the fundamentals are so underrated lately. Um, the marketers who can really dig in to customer research as your qualitative analysis any of your historical sales data as your quantitative analysis, and then funnel that into product positioning and messaging. Those are the marketers who win. I mean, they're just, those are the ones too, who are doing amazing things that you're not seeing super publicly. Like um, MJ Smith, who runs marketing at Colab Software is an awesome example of like product marketing done really, really well. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're not following her stuff, you definitely should. She has some really great, pointers 100%. Um, talk a little bit about um, what I'll call order of operations, if you will. So like, what comes first? Do you do the quantitative? Do you deal with the win-loss analysis quantitative side of things first? And does that influence um, your customer research? Is it the other way around? Are you doing them uh, concurrently? Uh, I'll, I'll stop there and let you answer. Yeah, I did it um, a little bit concurrently, um, but I'll explain it this way. So right when I got in, I wanted to sit in on as many sales demos as possible. So I just wanted to hear who we were talking to, how we were talking about the product and how our prospects were responding. But at the same time, I was doing the quantitative analysis. So who are our best customers now? What are their job titles, functions, um, industries? And that's who I was targeting for my customer outreach. So who I wanted to like actually sit down and talk to face-to-face, -face, sit down on their onboarding, sit down on their um, business review meetings. Those were the ones that I was targeting for like my own customer research. Got it. And what about, have you ever been in a situation where your quantitative and qualitative don't jive? Like they're telling you different things. Yeah, I think it can, I think it happens the most often in two different types of companies. So an early stage company is a really great example because their customers are probably all over the place because they're selling to whoever will buy their product. So we were talking, oh yeah. So there are times it's early stage when you'll sell anything to anyone. And then the other common one is when the company gets so big 
and their product line gets so varied and they sell into so many different markets that they no longer know who to focus on. So um, that was the situation I was in when I was at my bigger company and we were kind of forced to market to everyone. So we were saying the same thing to everyone, even though that message might not have necessarily resonated with everyone. So um, yes, I think there are definitely instances when your qualitative and quantitative analysis cannot jive. And there's different ways to approach like how you would attack it. So I, I would say in like the early stage one, you have to fall back on your founder and CEO and go back to the brand vision. Like, why did you create this product? Who did you create it for? Um, let's go get more of the types of customers that you created this product for. Like you created it for somebody. Why? Um, how can we get more like that? Who are our customers now that fit that profile? When you're in the later stages and you're with this like company that's probably making hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, A, you have to have multiple marketing departments. That's one option. Or if you're just a single department, it's who are we going to market to right now? We can't market to everyone. We can't say the same message to everyone. So that's when you're almost in like what I would call like campaign mode. Um, and that's what we did when I was at my larger company. You would work with like a single market development team, create a campaign for them for their specific product launch or a product update. And that's how you would kind of measure results there. So Again, don't know if I was rambling, but I hope that made sense. No, it's, I, I like that you brought up the, the larger company with multiple marketing departments. I, it made me think back to some past client experiences. And I feel like the places where um, we as a, as a service provider struggle the most and them as the client also struggle the most are the org structures where you had almost like the internal agency, like the, the, the one central marketing team that serviced all the various products and industries and product lines. And it's always this battle of budgets and uh, interests and incentives and getting pulled in multiple directions and the politics and all this kind of stuff. And, and then everything just seems to regress to the mean and you get like watered down messaging and things like that. Uh, on the flip side where we, where you see the, most success is kind of what you mentioned is the structure where you have dedicated industry teams or dedicated product teams, whichever, you know, either way I think can, can work. Um, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, like whether you believe one is better than the other. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, I think that having, if you get big enough, where you are separating into specific either product teams or market teams, then yeah, you should have your own marketing department. I mean, it just makes the most sense. We were more that um, description you had of the company with like a centralized marketing team that kind of had to serve everyone. And what you end up doing is kind of doing that anyways, because we would have to um, work with agencies to do different product launches or to work with specific teams. And then those agencies get to know the people on those teams really well and they get to understand the product and your buyer and how you go to market. Um, so you kind of end up doing it ad hoc anyways. So I definitely think the way to go um, with a bigger team is to have separate marketing departments for either product lines or market teams. Got it. So we talk mindsets, customer obsessed. We talk skill sets, qualitative customer research, quantitative analysis, win-loss, et cetera, translating all that into, into marketing strategy. And we, you have a number of great examples there. Uh, and then you also mentioned sticking to a strategy versus pivoting all the time. Um, you know, before I move on, I'm, I'm curious, cause this is uh, selfishly, we're working on some problem and pain point uh, messaging uh, things and one of the common ones that we, we see is just these constant pivots that people are going through. What do you think causes that? Um, I think it depends on who the decision maker is. So in the mid-sized teams I've seen that happen on, it's usually the CEO or like a big C something, CXO, who's making that pivot decision. And I think the big gap there is they feel like they're not seeing results fast enough. So the problem from the service provider side is 
you didn't communicate the results between the results well enough. So that timeline to stage. So when I was at Gorilla, this was a really real problem because we were doing a true demand generation program for industrial marketers and demand gen programs take a long time to get off the ground if you're going to do them right. So what we developed right before I left was a stair step was like, this is exactly how we're going to communicate results from months one to three, three to six, six to nine, nine to 12 and beyond. So, and that really resonated. So I think that's one reason that for the pivots, another, especially now that I'm in early stage and I'm lucky where, you know, my team was bought in really early. So they were bought in even before I was hired because I did a lot of like interviewing the company as much as they were interviewing me. Um, but what I hear from other heads of marketing at software companies is just the leader doesn't believe in it. So I think that's like one of the biggest ones. They um, either think product is the end all be all. So they think the product will sell itself or they think sales is the end all be all. So sales should just be doing a ton of cold outbound, a ton of like intent based outbound, target outbound, you know, whatever it is. But that's the one where I really, um, it's kind of like the most depressing one, to be honest, because the first one is solvable. The second one is not. You're not going to change someone's mindset who doesn't believe in marketing. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. All right. So mindset, skill sets, let's talk tool sets. Uh, and again, when we were talking prior to recording, I mentioned, you know, we, we think of tool sets more broadly. So what is the, what are the, some of the critical tools that you've used in product marketing specifically that you couldn't live without? Yeah. Number one is the CRM. So I came from companies. I saw companies on the industrial side that didn't have a CRM or the CRM was not used properly. You have to have it. There's just, there's no substitute for it. Um, you can try and fill in the gaps with something like order processing or accounting data, but it just doesn't do what you needed it to do. So CRM for sure, I will live and die on the CRM hill. If you follow my LinkedIn feed, you'll know what I mean. Um, another as far as tool sets, like to be honest, like I cut a lot of our tools as soon as I got in here because I think that tools are a poor substitute for um, a marketing strategy. So like you might just be doing tactics or um, using tools to snag leading indicators that don't actually mean anything. So when I think about the tools I use every day, it's, you know, the super basics, you know, we have a podcast, so I have a nice mic. Uh, I have a ring light. <laughs> I have a podcast recording platform. As far as digital goes, we're heavy into LinkedIn and Facebook for advertising I use hardly any Google products anymore because they're just not producing the results I need them to produce right now. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of like um, like a tool um, monk, I guess you would say. <laughs> Less tools, the better. So let me ask you in a different way. I mean, you mentioned uh, April Dumford's framework early on. Are there any other frameworks, rubrics, matrices, uh, uh, guides, templates, things like that. Like, so think of tools a little bit more broadly rather than just software. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Um, another really great one as far as product marketing goes, when I'm thinking of landing pages is, um, Donald Miller's, obviously the story brand framework is fantastic, but he actually has a sales framework. So he has a podcast. And if you listen to his sales framework, it's a little bit condensed version of the story brand framework. So it's um, boldly state the problem, um, position yourself as the solution, address objections, um, bring in differentiators and then call to action. So it's just like really, really simple. I use that in like my landing pages, my messaging on my homepage. Like that one is just so critical. Um, it's also really great for case studies if we're going back to the original story brand framework where the customer is the hero. So I do that a lot in our case studies and customer testimonials. Um, thinking of some other marketing fundamentals, I read a lot of positioning books. So I steal a lot of the positioning stuff that I already talked about, which is problems, features, values, benefits. Um, let's see. 
as far as like consistency, if I'm, if we're talking just like, you know, frameworks for, um, building awareness or building, um, product value, uh, we do a lot of like organic LinkedIn posting and that is really, it's framework based. So we'll pick like four or five problems or topics that different people in our company feel comfortable talking about. And those are the only ones we hit on and we just hit on, hit on them repeatedly. Um, but I'd love to talk about organic LinkedIn if that's like another tool set, because I think there's like three pieces of organic LinkedIn, but I don't know if you want me to get that detailed here. Go for it. We, we had some time. So. All right, cool. So as far as like frameworks for posting organically on LinkedIn um, and finding success there, there's like three pieces. It's quality, consistency, and reach. So you have to post really quality, valuable content. You have to post that kind of content consistently. So three to five times per week. And then you have to do it to a large audience. So you either have to have a large audience or have access to a large audience through your network. So those are like the big places where we're focusing our efforts right now, LinkedIn positioning, and then story brand are my go-tos. So let's take a slight detour since you brought that up. Quality consistency, I think most people will understand that. I think the reach is where a lot of people will struggle. So especially if you're starting out, let's say you're, a, I don't know, a, either a first time maybe agency owner who never built up a, an audience or you're a first time founder who doesn't have an audience. Um, what do you do there? How, how do you build, how do you get access to that reach to make this work? Yeah. So there's a couple ways I did it. Number one is just connecting with a ton of people in your specialty. So I just connected with a ton of people in marketing and sales when I first started. Um, I think LinkedIn lets you connect with something like 50 people a day. So I max that out every single day for like a month. I just connected with as many people as possible. Um, then the other way you can do it is commenting on people who have a large following. I wouldn't go too large though. So once you start getting into like the 50s to 100,000 plus, your comment can kind of get lost in the weeds. What you want to do is find those like 10 to 50K followings because then not only are you going to get exposure from the people who are also commenting, but those are the creators who are still responding to their commenters. So they'll like engage with you back and that can get you some really great exposure too. So let's, let's talk results. So you, you got the nice. mindset, you're customer obsessed. You, you've got the, you've got the skill sets clearly based on what you've described. You got a lot of different tool sets, although you've gotten rid of a lot of the software. Um, well, you know, let me, before I go there, let me ask you one, one other thing. So from a customer research perspective, are you using any tools to either, well, I guess specifically to, to organize and synthesize the qualitative information. Yep. So I'm doing the jobs to be done framework. I think it's called like JTBD. Mm -hmm. um, so I do that yep. in all my customer research, um, but really trying to like, if I could do big overarching summary aside from the jobs to be done, it would be, what does a typical day look like? What's your best day? What's your worst day in your job? How are you measured? Why'd you buy our product? What problems did it solve? And what results did you get? Well, you just, you just listed off a few of my, my favorite uh, questions, which are yep. the <laughs> best day, worst day. Cause it's the, the, yeah, you know, if you can get them to tell a story and really highlight a pain point. Yes. It's so powerful. Yes. I totally agree with that. I was having, when I was back at my old, <clears throat> old company and I was just getting started with customer research, I was having the hardest time with this guy. He was like, you know, in operations, he's on the floor every day. The last thing he wanted to do during his lunch break was talk to me. So I kind of like fell upon the best day, worst day, like haphazardly. Cause he just like was not telling me anything. And I was like, kind of just like, man, it, it sounds like you're having a bad day. And he was like, yeah, you know, kind of. And I was like, well, like, what does the worst day look like? And he was just like, boom, like <laughs> opened up, like just the story started flying. And I was like, okay, there's something here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are, those are two of my, my favorite questions. Cause everyone wants to tell you how, how awesome they are. And, 
everyone's generally more than happy to complain about how crappy their day has been or whatever, yes. you know, tell you their like exactly. battle scar story. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. All right. So mindset skills as tool sets. Well, what have you been able to, what have you been able to achieve with that? Uh, feel free to talk about your current role, past roles. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about this part because it's, common. Okay. Like Mary, how do I even know this kind of strategy is even going to work? Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about what we're seeing so far. So when I was talking a little bit before about the stair step plan, so, you know, from the moment you start to when your program like ends or when you expected to see ROI, how are you communicating results in between? So the way that I did it was I laid it out on a literal timeline and I was like, I'm going to be validating only, validating our messaging, positioning, targeting um, for the first eight weeks. After that, we should start seeing leads. So we should start being, seeing leads latest by month three. If we're not seeing leads by then, I know something's wrong. I want to see that converting into pipelines somewhere between months three and six based on our sales cycle. I want to see that start converting to revenue between months four and 12 because our sales cycle can be long for some bigger deals. And then I want to see all of that coming in consistently by about month nine. So month nine, we should know whether or not we need to like invest super heavily in this, hire more people, you know, the whole shebang. So um, that's how I communicated results. So we're four months in, so I should start be seeing results by now, right? We had our highest lead, high intent lead count ever last quarter. So it was a 61% increase from our previous highest quarter and 120% increase from the quarter before that. So high intent leads are exactly where we want them to be. And we're kind of at the earlier stages of that, you know, six months to pipeline goal. Um, But we're starting to see pipeline. It's already um, 30% more up quarter over quarter. So all signs point to thumbs up. So I'm excited. Awesome. Great work. That's, uh, that's, yeah, that's exciting. You. It's always exciting when it, so when it works. It, wor- it works. It works. <laughs> I promise go. it works. <laughs> All right. Well, Mary, this has been, this has been awesome. Is there anything else as a product marketing leader that you think somebody should know that maybe we haven't talked about yet? Um, yes. Yeah, so I've been saying this lately because it's come up on LinkedIn and I've been exploring it a little bit more and it seems to be resonating And it's just bring common sense back to marketing. Like you as a marketer are closest to the marketing department. You know more than you think. Bring common sense back to the marketing function, please. Common sense isn't all that common. Isn't that what they say? (laughs) So (laughs) awesome. Well, this has been great. You shared a lot of great things. Uh, Obviously, you're on LinkedIn. So if people want to get in touch with you, I'm assuming they can do that there. Um, anything on a personal note you want to share? I know you've got a pod, you have a podcast, uh, yourself, anything, anything else you want to share with, with our audience where they can find you and listen to your insights? Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a podcast with, um, my friends, Aaron Weeks and James Beckman. It is called the purposeful marketing podcast. So you can check us out there. Um, I also have a podcast with Matt, my customers. It is called the Field Sales Leadership Guide podcast. If you know of any sales leaders in field sales, I would love to have them as guests on the show. So please DM me on LinkedIn if you're interested. I might be able to connect you to a few folks. So, Oh, that's awesome. I would love that. Uh, great. Well, Mary, thank you. The last thing we've got left is our lightning round. All right. It almost never actually ends up being a lightning round because we end up getting on some tangent, but you know, we can try. Yep. So lightning round, uh, what is the main KPI you use to measure marketing success? Pipeline. What is something new in marketing or go to market in general that you're looking forward to testing out this year? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, in-person events. What I'm trying to keep a, it. I'm trying to keep it short since it's lightning round. <laughs> no, it's good. That's good. Appreciate that. What's a marketing best practice that you actually hate and believe should go by the wayside? 
Um, I think that benefits are overrated and you should be trying to extract the value those benefits bring. And if you haven't listened to the, to this conversation, you should go back and listen to it again. We talk <laughs> about that quite a bit. Um, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? Ooh, optimization. Oh, hate it. <laughs> There's a lot of angst there. I feel like we need to dig into that one a little bit more. <laughs> Oh yeah. Optimization is just like the worst. Like, please, please give me more specifics on how you're going to like optimize my revenue streams. Like, I don't even know what that means. Um, yeah. Optimizing specificity. I know everyone's always like, Oh, people have short attention spans. You need to be brief in your marketing copy. You also need to be specific. So I think optimization, like we were talking about what happens when, you know, you have marketing by committee and it ends up just getting watered down or people pivot too quickly. And that's what optimization is to me. That is like marketing done by committee. We chose the most watered down corporate jargon mess we could possibly think of for this copy. So yes, kill optimization. Yep. Yeah. Best in class optimization, you know, (laughs) (laughs) supercharge. Uh, yes. Uh, what is your favorite business or marketing book? Probably obviously awesome by April Dunford. I have it like right next to my desk. I open it up all the time. I'm like, what would April say about this? And she almost always has a good answer. I think she's actually coming out with another book that I'm really excited about because we're early stage. So I work really, really closely with my sales team, which I didn't expect to love as much as I do, but I actually do love it. It is so much fun to work with sales. And I think she's coming out with a new book on like perfecting your sales narrative. So I'm really excited to read that one. Awesome. That sounds interesting. I'm going to have to check that out too. Yeah. Uh, All right. This last one, I'm going to pull one out of a hat here since we're talking about home gyms before we hit record. Oh, yes. Uh, Favorite favorite piece of home gym equipment? Oh, that's a good one. Probably... My pair of 35 pound dumbbells. You can do anything with 35 pound dumbbells. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, Mary, thank you so much. This has been fun. And hopefully uh, you've had fun as well. I had a great time, Mike. This was such a great conversation. So much fun. Um, If you enjoyed it or you guys have any questions, please, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I answer all my DMs unless it's a pitch. <laughs> Do not pitch Mary or me for that matter. Don't do that. I'll ignore you too. Yeah. All right, everybody. Mary, thank you. Everybody, we'll see you all next week for another episode of the Master Marketer Show. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.